Well, welcome to the second week of our community Bible experience. And hopefully most of you understand what that means. We are tracking through, focusing on the Word of God, reading big portions of God's Scripture together. We said, you know what? Let's actually read the New Testament. How about that for a novel idea? Not in fragmented, not verse by verse or isolated verses, but together let's read the New Testament. And we're doing that six and a half chapters on average a day, less than 200 verses a day. And we are excited for the eight, for eight weeks. We said, let's do this together. And it's called the Community Bible Experience. Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you can do anything for eight weeks. All right, just do it. All right, tell All right. And you say, now tell them thank you, all right? And I want everybody to say this with me or after me. Say, I can do anything for eight weeks. Now, we're only six weeks left, so let's say one more thing. I can do anything for six weeks. And we want you to be reading through the Scripture using this, uh, this tool called the Book of the Bibles. We do have extra copies as they're available. I think we have 12 left as a, before, right before first service. And if you haven't picked up a copy, we encourage you to do so. They're 8 bucks, and you can track with us because not only are we, are we reading big sections of Scriptures, but we're preaching uh, for these next uh, six weeks, and including today, seven, for we are preaching out of those sections of Scripture, and we're highlighting what the Lord has kind of highlighted in that week, or in that, yeah, in that particular week. Now, part of last week, I want to give you a little review here, especially for those that are, are here as a guest today. We said that there's one author in God's Word, and that's Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God. One person, three beings. And, uh, and it's interesting how in Scripture, as you read Scripture, God's Word interprets itself. It helps to, as you read all of Scripture, it helps you to understand maybe some of the harder components. And there are many times, many examples, where we see something explained in the natural with a supernatural application. You know what I'm talking about? We looked at this last week. We said the Word of God was our daily bread, right? We said in Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. It's part of the Lord's Prayer. Most of us have memorized that at one point or another. And in that, it says, give us this day our daily bread. Is it possible that that means more than just natural provision? And we said, absolutely. The daily bread is a daily dose of God's Word in our lives. We see that in Exodus 16, 4, Deuteronomy 8, Three, and we're not going to take the time to do that. You can get online, listen from last week. But we need to be eating the Word of God daily, and the result are benefits in our lives. There are blessings for each and every one of us. We see that in Psalm chapter 68, verse 19. Now, I want to look at another example of where there's something natural explained, but with a supernatural application. And I want to look at it where the Word of God is described as water. And I want you to track with me. Hopefully you've got your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, don't, don't be shy. Stand right up and get a Bible off the back table so you can flip through some of these verses with us so you can see these. Let's start in Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 4 describes our words as water. Listen what it says here. It says, the words of a man's mouth 
are deep waters. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. Now flip back to Psalm 105, verses 40 and 41. We're, here we're looking at God's work within Israel, and we're seeing something here. Uh, it starts really in verse 37, how he brought them out of Israel and all these things. But then in verse 40, it says, They asked, and he brought them quail and satisfied them with bread from heaven. And last week we looked at that verse in Exodus where, where that bread from heaven was more, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians last week we looked at it, where it was described, yeah, there was physical provision of manna, of quail, right? That was, it was bread from heaven, but it was more than that. It was a spiritual as well. But then verse 41 says, he opened the rock, everyone say the rock, we're going to look at that in a second. And water gushed out like a river flowing in the desert. And so you see again, we're seeing God's work, the rock in the Old Testament, the water, you know the story if you read it, they, got, uh, they struck the rock and water flowed. But there's more than just the natural water that was flowing. In the New Testament, that was described as God's provision in God's word. Who's the rock? Not Van Diesel or, or, or who is? Not Dwayne Johnson, thank you. But God Almighty, Jesus is, is the rock. Turn with me to another verse um, in the New Testament. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. All right, we're going to track with me here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, again, talking about Israel's history. We'll start in verse 1. For I did not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They're talking about the miracles that the children of Israel experienced. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. But verse, 30, or verse 3 says, They all ate the same spiritual food and drank from the same spiritual drink, referring to the water that flowed out of the rock in the Old Testament. For they drank from the spiritual rock, right, that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Now, track with me here for a moment, all right? So it says there that the rock is Christ. And we know in John chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus, and early on in John, that Jesus is the Word. He always was, always will be, the Word of God. And the Word became flesh. Jesus is the Word of God, Right? So they hit the rock, they hit Jesus, and water flowed. And what does the Bible describe water as? Our words. And so the water that was, that was uh, hit, or the rock that was hit, represented Jesus. It was a symbol of Jesus foreshadowing. And the water that, flew, flew, uh, that flowed out was spiritual as well as the physical, and it was the word of God. Now, with that in mind, and I know I want you to track with me. I want to look at one other verse in Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, in God's word. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Not once in a while, not once a week, not just in the daytime, but even day 
and night. And he is like a tree planted by streams of water. God's word is like water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Last week we read from Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 that says, Do not let the book of the law depart from your tongue from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. The same thing as we just read in, uh, in, uh, in Psalm 1. Why? So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Church, the Word of God in our lives is so important. It's referred to as the water, as water in many, many times throughout Scripture. And it pours out. And it's more than just a physical water that we drink and we are satisfied. But it is a spiritual nutrition that comes. Now I want to pause here for a moment. And I'm going to ask you a question. And I don't necessarily want an answer. But what if we really believe what we just read in Psalm 1? That if we were to get the Word of God into our lives... The water of God are refreshing into our lives day and night. That whatever we would do would prosper. What it says in in Joshua, it reiterates the same thing. You'll be prosperous and successful. That comes when we get the word of God inside of us day and night. What if you believe that? What if you lived your life that way, where God's word was always on your tongue, always right there? How long can you live without food? Does anyone know? 30, 40 days, I've heard, without food. You can live a while without food. You might dwindle and look pretty bad, but you can live for a long time without food. How long can you live without water? Not very long, maybe two days, maybe three days without water. In the reality, we cannot live without God's word. It's a sign of health to be hydrated. How many of you know what I'm talking about? When I was in high school, I was playing basketball, wasn't drinking enough, and my, I, I got home one night after practice, and I was exhausted and I was hurting, and my parents said, something's wrong with Ben. He doesn't look good. And my parents said, you know what? We're taking you in. And they got, they assessed me, and all it was is that I was dehydrated. I was sick and not doing well. The same thing is true. It's interesting that most Christians, or many Christians at least, are dehydrated spiritually. The water of God's word is not refreshing us on a regular basis. And I'll tell you, the enemy, Satan, he would love to starve you from God's word. If he can keep you from God's word, he will be successful because you will dry up, you will wither away. If he keeps us from the well of of God's goodness, the result in our lives will be problems and bondage, and addiction, and all kinds of things that will go wrong. Some of you are like, man, it's like I can't get a break, I can't get ahead, or it seems like I'm always, you know, uh, up against a wall, or whatever. Are you in God's Word? Because it says if you're in God's Word, you will be prosperous, 
everything you do will succeed. But the enemy, not only does he want to starve us from God's word, he will flood us with his thoughts. He will flood us with confusion and deceit. He will twist truth and he will speak into our ears all these thoughts to keep us again from God's word. If we, did, if we don't drink from God's word, if we don't meditate on it, if we don't repeat it like we said last week, if we don't share it, we will be defeated, we will be parched, we will live our lives in despair, in pain, and destruction. We will not fulfill what God wants in our lives. But Jesus offers spiritual water. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? Where we will never thirst again. You know the story where the woman is at the well and, and they're talking about her life and, and she says, and Jesus says, will you get me some water? And she says, well, I could get you some water. But, and then Jesus says, well, I have water for you that you'll never thirst again, right? In John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38, it says, if anyone, Jesus talking, is thirsty, let him come. We see it in Isaiah 55, 1. Come all, everyone, you, come all you who are thirsty. And again, at the end of Scripture in Revelation 22, verse 17, whoever is thirsty, let him come. Let him come. I am convinced that the most important commodity in your life and in my life is not food or water or medicine or our education or any other material resource. The most important commodity in our lives is God's word. And if that's true, I just want to stop and say, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? Right now. And I don't want to over-spiritualize like, or create some kind of frenzy or some fear tactic to, to get you in God's Word. But do you believe that everything you'll do will prosper if you're in God's Word? That's what God's Word says. Do you believe it's the most important commodity in your life? I'm not going to put anyone on the spot, but if you look over the last week or a month, or a year of your life, does your calendar and your time reflect your love for God's Word? I believe, as I was writing this morning, uh, putting final notes in my message, I believe that God is encouraging some of us here to get into His Word, to drink from it, and to start today. You know, it's... We can kind of track through. We're two weeks into the Bible reading, uh, the first 112 pages or something like that. Don't try to make that up. Start today. If you've missed a meal, you don't eat two meals in regard in, uh, to do one. Hopefully not. <laughs> Let's say this. If you missed a week of meals, you're not going to eat all that week's meals, everything you would have eaten in one sitting. But start today. Today's daily bread today's water. And I just want to pray for us this morning just to stop for a moment and ask God to quicken in our hearts a love and a desire for his word. Amen. Let me pray over you. Lord, I pray for each person here right now. 
Lord, that you would just quicken our hearts. And God, I pray that you would strengthen us and help us to move forward in confidence. God, to be in your word, to love your word, to desire your word, to spend time in your word. And God, I pray that it will be like rivers of water, refreshing, hydrating into our lives. God, I pray that it will be truly our daily bread, our daily nutrition spiritually. God, I pray that the result of our desire to be in your word will be health in our lives, in our families, in our businesses, in our schools. God, that you would help us to know you more, to be a part of your word, to walk with you in confidence. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, so we've been tracking through God's word. The result of God's word in our lives is health. Now this week, if you've been reading in the book of books, you have read all of Luke and Acts at this point. You read the second part of uh, one book, two volumes. You read all of Acts and First and Second Thessalonians. If you're tracking with us and you don't have a book, you could write this down. This week's reading is First and Second Corinthians. All right, write it down. First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and Romans, all the way to Romans chapter eight. And so that's this week's uh, reading assignment. Now, let's look at uh, what Luke was trying to say in Luke-Acts. We know that it was written by Luke to Theophilus to convince Theophilus of the things that he had heard about Jesus and the church that that he's saying, look, what you've heard about the church, what you've heard about Jesus are absolutely trustworthy. You can look at Luke, the book of Luke, was God's plan for Jesus unfolded. It was a story of Jesus. It's one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But it's combined with the second part that many people don't put together is Acts. And what Acts is, is God's plan for the church and the Holy Spirit. It's unfolded right before our eyes. And if you read through it this week, it's interesting how often salvation and the Holy Spirit were highlight, highlighted. And as I read, I, there were a few things, and I want to look at a few of these things, and you can kind of track with me. Now, the first place I want you to turn is to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and if you've you got your book of books here, you can turn to page 57 and 58. We see Jesus, or not Jesus, I'm sorry. You see Peter, uh, he stands up after the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit falls, and he says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And it goes on, he, he gives this message. But then it says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And over and over in Acts, you turn the page over to page 58 or verse Uh, 37 and 39, it says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The highlight was repentance and not only repentance, but water baptism and Baptism in the Holy Spirit, that God was moving in a new way and the Holy Spirit was moving and tracking with them. Turn with me to page 70 in the book of books if you've got that with you, and, uh, or to Acts chapter 9, verse 31. 
After a hard time in the early church dealing with some crazy sin of Ananias and Sapphira, uh, this guy, this husband and wife, they sold some property. They gave most of it to the church, but they said that they gave it all. If you're not familiar with the story, they, Paul, they brought them in, and the elders of the church said, hey, did you give everything that, from the sale of the property? Not that you had to, but you're saying that you did that. And they said, yes. And they both died right on the spot. And so after that, I mean, talk about rocking the world of the, the early church. Right after that, listen to what happens. The church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, what happened after that happened? They dealt with sin in the church. They enjoyed a time of peace, and the church was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord, do you think? And encouraged by the Holy Spirit. I read that because we, as believers, must be living with a focus on God in holiness, a fear of the Lord, being encouraged in the Spirit. One other place, in um, uh, page 77, Acts 13, verse 49. I love this. What it says is it's uh, kind of tracking through. Uh, It says at one point on the Sabbath that almost the entire city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Wouldn't that be incredible if that happened here at the Gateway Church, that almost the entire city would come? That'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? But then in verse 39, I'm sorry, 49, it says this, the word of the Lord, Everyone say the word of the Lord. That water, that daily bread, it spread throughout the entire region. That's what Acts was about. The God's plan for the church unfolding. Then, if those of you that are tracking with us, you had the privilege of reading 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And what's interesting about 1 and 2 Thessalonians, you see Paul's heart for the church. Uh, In the commentary on page 103, I want to read a little bit, and I want to encourage you as you're tracking through reading this, and and after today, we're going to have near 100 people going through this. Uh, Some people are using one copy for husband and wives, and uh, we will have 100 people reading through the New Testament. Isn't that incredible? God's Word is so awesome. But anyway, in the... the, invitation uh, to First and Second Thessalonians. It's a little commentary. talks about it. It says this. It says, the book of Acts tells how Paul, Silas, and Timothy brought the good news about Jesus to Europe around A.D. 51. The three went to the city of Thessalonica where many more people became followers of Jesus. So they went, they planted a church in Thessalonica. The church started to grow. And then Paul was concerned that the believers in Thessalonica might stop following Jesus because of the opposition they were facing. So when Silas and Timothy caught up with him, he sent Timothy, who could make the trip easier, and it talks about earlier, that because uh, Paul and Silas, uh, because of their nationality, it was easier to send Timothy back to Thessalonica. They did that to encourage the believers. When Timothy returned with with the welcome news that the the Thessalonians had remained faithful, Paul wrote to them, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, wrote to them to express his joy. He also used the opportunity to provide some teaching and correction uh, for the community that they needed. And what's interesting is I read this week, we see Paul's care for the church. He expresses his joy, his encouragement. 
And the thing that got my attention this week that I want to land on today is found in 1 Thessalonians. You can turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. In the book of books here, it's on page 106, and I encourage you to read along in one of those areas. Listen to what it says. This is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, the, in, not, in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians. And listen to what it says. It says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, you can tell his love, even by the way he's writing, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Can you feel the passion that Paul had for the church that he had planted? He loved these people like a mother loves her children. And what I thought about as I read that, I stopped and I underlined, I'm saying, okay, Lord, what are you saying to me in this moment? The first thing I wanted to highlight is that great moms, as we're transitioning now to Mother's Day and kind of highlighting moms, great moms give everything, don't they? It says there, Paul, he gave everything that he had to the church. And I want you to know, great mothers do the same thing. They work nonstop, don't they? And all the mothers said, amen. Mothering is not for the weak. It is not for people that are selfish. It's an unselfish pursuit to raise up a child, to raise a family. They give up pleasure time and time again, investing in their families. I was thinking about my mom, looking back on our growing up, and I can remember, and maybe you can uh, have a similar story, how many times my mom gave up certain things so that my sisters and I could enjoy a new pair of shoes or a new shirt or a new backpack or we could go cross-country skiing or we could go out to the lake and, and whatever. My mom gave up so much growing up. And that's what a mother does. They give everything. Forbes did a, uh, wrote an article just uh, in April that the, the, they asked a question. In this article, that Forbes asked, think you can put a price on motherhood? This is Forbes magazine. And they used a yearly survey by salary.com. The, the survey is called, uh, takes into consideration the annual mom salary survey. It attempts to put a salary on the work of American mothers. How about that? First, they broke down the motherly duties into the following 10 categories. And there's probably 10 or 15 or 100 others that you could do. But listen to what it says. This is Forbes in, in conjunction with salary.com. Mothers were daycare center teachers, CEO, psychologist, cook, housekeeper, laundry machine operator, computer operator, facilities manager, janitor, 
and van driver. Then they studied how many hours moms worked in those categories and what the family would have to pay to outsource each of those duties. And according to the 2012 survey, they determined the following. This is interesting. We tried to put the price tag on motherhood. The average stay-at-home mom should make an annual salary of $112,962 based on a 40-hour work week with 54.7 hours a week in overtime. How many be up for that, right? Yeah. The average working mom should make an annual salary just for her mom role of $66,969 based on 40 hours of mothering duties plus 17.9 overtime hours per week. The article concludes and says the amount of mom's responsibilities is beyond what most workers could ever experience day to day. Imagine if you had to attract and retain a candidate to fill that role. The fact is, is that moms give and give and give and give. And Mother's Day is just one of those moments where all together we can stop and slow down and we can say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All the moms that are here. If you're not a mom, can you just say that with me? Thank you, moms. Come on, say it again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all that you do. But the second piece that caught my attention in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 there is that great moms not only give everything, but great moms know and share the word. And we see Paul, he describes his situation. He says, not only, he says, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our, our lives as well. He was sharing the word of God. Paul knew the word. And I was thinking about great moms. Great moms love God's word and invest in God's word. If I could just boldly say, my wife, she loves God's word. She's in God's word on a daily basis. She gets up early so she can get, spend time with Reagan, and they do devotions together. But then there's a, about a 30-minute time frame before Logan gets up that Jessica's in the Word of God. She gets up before all that to exercise. It's crazy. But she loves the Word. Great moms not only know the Word, but then they invest that Word into Paul instructed God's Word. And his instructions kind of continued in 1 Thessalonians. We even see God, uh, Paul using, saying, hey, this is what's important about holy living and the, keeping the standard high. And you can turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I want to read a little section here. It's on page 107 if you're following in that way. It says this, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. 
He's encouraging them. You, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Then he continues. He says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. What does a great mother teach her kids? To be sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who did not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. He's teaching them God's word. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects the instructions does not reject human beings, but rejects God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And so I was thinking about great mothers. My mom, I was thinking about Jessica, and I look around this room, and there are many incredible moms that are here. They give it all, but they know the importance of God's word in their lives. And I wanted to affirm some things in all of our mothers and our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers and even our mothers-to-be, those that are hopeful to be a mom someday. And so I'm going to ask that if you are a hopeful mother, <laughs> saying, hey, someday, God's God willing, you might be a student here or a young adult, single adult, I'm going to ask that you would stand with all of our moms, all our grandmas, and our great-grandmas, and our great-great-great-grandmas, and any other women. I want you to stand all across the place here this morning. And as you do that, I'm hoping that you have a copy of God's Word. I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is moms-to-be. Mothers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers. If you've adopted a child, haven't had a child uh, personally, you are, stand up. I want to read from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, or you can put in there for this morning, Hear, O mothers, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Moms, Love, and future moms, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Let that sink in for a moment. That's where it starts. With a passionate desire for Jesus, for God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mothers, these commandments I give you today are to be written on your hearts. And my prayer is in this moment, it'll be just pierced into your heart, God's word. Verse 7, moms, impress them on your children. Our children need to know God, right? These commandments, impress them on your children. Moms, talk about them when you sit at home. Moms, when you walk along the road, talk about them. When you lie down at night, talk about them. When you get up in the morning, talk about them. The commandments, God's word, 
God's word at, alive in your life. Because great moms give it all, but they know and they share God's word, right? Moms, verse 8, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Moms, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Listen, if that's not crystal clear, <laughs> I'm not sure what is, what could be. But mothers, future moms, grandmothers, I want to declare over you this morning that you are great moms. But the best moms in the world aren't just moms that provide and pay for stuff and, and even just give of themselves. The, the best moms, they know God's Word. And they invest God's Word into their siblings, or into their children, I'm sorry. And I want to just pray a prayer of blessing. I want to charge you with these words from Deuteronomy. And so let's pray. And then after we pray, we've got a little gift for each of the moms and the future moms here. And uh, we want to, we'll, it'll kind of be seamless here. Uh, the kids are preparing in the back. We want to just love on you this morning and to honor you. But before we give you a small gift, a little carnation to kind of walk out of here with, we want to pray a prayer for our moms this morning. So let's pray. Lord, I pray Deuteronomy chapter 6 over each of these moms and future moms that they would love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That the commandments would be in their own hearts. That they would impress them on their children. Talk about them when they sit at home when they walk along the road, when they lie down, when they get up, that these moms would tie them as symbols on their hands and bind them on their foreheads, write them, writing them on the door frames of their houses and on their gates. Why? For your glory, for your honor. God, that you would bless the efforts of these great mothers today. And God, I pray for each one this morning. It's possible that there are moms here that are away from you. God, I pray that they would surrender their hearts first to you, that they'd learn to love you. And beyond that, Lord, that you would help these moms as they give it all. You would help them to, to know and to share your word. God, we pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people together said amen. Stay standing, moms. And we've got a little gift from each of the kids as they come forward. And uh, we wanted to bless you this morning. Look at all these kids in first service. I love it. Thank you. Many of your families have committed to come to first service to make room in second service. And so all the moms that are just one, I think one... <laughs> Load them up, one per person. Just take another second here. All right. All right, we got some moms over on this side. Uh, eat, 
Deb, if you could help out over here, and Kaylin, get some moms over here. And then we're going to have a closing prayer. Once you got a, a carnation, moms and future moms, if you could just be seated. We've got a few more here. Where we go? Yep, just wake your way in there. Awesome. A few more here. Good. And then let's everybody stand. Does anybody not get one? Think we're good? All right, all the extras can go back for second service. Everyone stand up, all right? Lord, I pray today would be a blessing in each of these homes. Lord, that you, as we honor our moms, our mothers, our grandmothers, our even mothers-to-be, God, put your hand upon us as your people. Go before us, behind us, and all around us. Bring us back next week together for your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. We love you. Go in the grace of God. And make sure if your mom isn't here, give her a call. Stop by. Let her know you love her. God bless you.